Hey, Real Pink listeners. For this week's episode, we decided to go back in our archives and pull out one of our favorite episodes with Samantha Harris, the Emmy award-winning television host. In this episode, Samantha talks about different ways to talk to your doctor about breast cancer and doesn't hold back. This episode will not disappoint. Listen to it, enjoy, and tune in next week for an all-new episode of Real Pink. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Talking openly with your doctor is one of the best ways to feel good about your breast cancer treatment decisions. But sometimes talking with a doctor can be overwhelming, confusing, and create more questions than answers. To help us learn how to ask the right questions and ensure that we have the right support and help us develop a really good relationship with our doctor, please help us welcome Samantha Harris to the show. A little bit about Samantha. A seasoned entertainment journalist and Emmy award-winning television host, Samantha may be best known for her eight seasons as the co-host of Dancing with the Stars and for many years on Entertainment Tonight. Harris is also a health and fitness expert, author, mom, and breast cancer survivor. Samantha, thanks for joining me on the show. I'm so glad to be here. It's such an important thing that Komen is doing with this podcast, and I'm very happy to be part of it. I can't wait to talk to you about it. And I will confess, it's a little intimidating interviewing somebody that's done so much interview work. You're doing a great job, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a fun conversation. This will be great. Well, so I'd like to start with understanding, like, what's your story and, and why are we even having this conversation? I, I understand you've been through some things. And, and can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, yeah, so my work with Coleman began because I am a breast cancer survivor. Uh, I'm about five years out. And it was something that as many newly diagnosed people find, it is something that is blindsiding. So at 40, I was more fit and healthier than I'd ever been, or so I thought. And I thought I would set a baseline, get a mammogram, just make sure I, it was all set. My girls were just three and six at the time. My husband and I thought, let's you know, take advantage of, of great insurance and get that mammogram. And so I did, and the results came back clear, just as I anticipated. But then 11 days later, while I was changing, I found a lung and I was very surprised by it. I took charge. So I immediately called my longtime OBGYN. She did a quick clinical exam and uh, said it was nothing. She said, you know, you're turning 40. It's probably glandular. This is what happens. You know, lay off the caffeine here. I'm thinking, I don't even drink coffee every day. What do you mean the caffeine? But oh, okay. And then, then uh, about a month later, that lump was still there. And I thought, all right, I should probably get a second opinion. Let me listen to my gut and do this. But I went to see my internist because again, didn't think it was cancer. And he did the same thing. Quick clinical exam said, it's nothing. If you're worried about it, we'll keep an eye on it and sent me on my way. And it wasn't until four months later with that nagging in my gut that I finally reached out to a surgical oncologist to make an appointment because I figured even though I didn't think it was cancer, I should probably go to a specialist whose sole, whose sole job is to look at breasts every single day and know what to look for and what kinds of tests to do and make sure that the diagnostics are there. So I did that. And at this appointment, she did uh, two ultrasounds and a needle biopsy. Later, when the pathology came back for that needle biopsy, she said, good news and bad news. The good news is it's, it's not cancer. The bad news is I don't know what it is. So, well, let's just take it out. And so I had a lumpectomy. And this is where choosing a doctor who is 
very skilled, who's been at it for a while, is really important. Because during the lumpectomy, she took out all the, all the cells that weren't cancer, that she thought were not cancer at the time. But then on the margin, there was a little bit of extra, what she said she thought was healthy tissue, but something in her gut said, I just want to take this out and, and just run it through pathology. And thank goodness she did because that came back as invasive cancer and all the cells that she didn't think were cancer came back as ductal carcinoma in situ. Wow. Wow. That's, it's fantastic that you listened to your, your instinct on that, right? Well, you know, and people always say, well, how did you know it was cancer? I didn't know it was cancer. No, it just bothered you. But I wanted to be sure, you know? Right. If you're going to have a doctor say something is nothing, why? Why are they making it? Is it a hunch or is it based on facts? I wanted cold, hard facts. Right. Right. And, and you mentioned in your story that it's really important to go to a doctor that really has like, that experience and can sort of draw from a body of knowledge and, and to some degree from some intuition uh, as well from all that experience. Right. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, obviously, I feel very lucky being in Los Angeles. We have so many great hospitals with fantastic oncology departments. And so I really did have sort of options here. But I know that there are many places around the country where it's more challenging. You have to drive a little bit further. And we all want convenience. And convenience isn't always the best answer when you're, especially when you're looking at something like a serious medical situation. Um, there was a study done, and I, I, you can't quote me on this because I can't quote the study, but something about the further you drive away from where you are based for medical care sometimes leads to better outcomes because you're able to then seek out the best care possible. I see. Right. Right. Well, I, I, love, I mean, I wrote down what you said. Convenience isn't always the best answer when it comes to your health. And I think that's really the key finding here is you've got you've got to be willing to travel to go to the right specialist, to find the right doctor, to, to make the right connection for somebody that can really help you. Right. Right. And that that is definitely something that it look, we all have such busy lives. I spent the better part of a year with, you know, my husband and I in doctor's offices. But, uh, you know, thankfully, it was maybe an hour in traffic at the worst. Right. And some people right. have longer drives than that. But being able to find the best care is really is really essential. That's right. That's right. Now, let's talk a little bit about kind of that doctor's appointment, setting some expectations. You know, what can somebody expect to go through for that first appointment? What does that look like? Can you can you walk me through that? Sure. So, and of course, I'm sure each doctor has their own, uh, his or her own way of, of going about it. But um, for me, what that first appointment was, was first of all, finding out that I had a diagnosis. Um, having the doctor and her fellow really walk me through carefully in a very hand-holding way where the cancer was, what it looked like, how aggressive they felt it was, how large they felt it was or small, you know, the size, you know, usually we're talking about centimeters here. And then once all of that conversation, and of course they want to field your questions and your, your head at that moment is spinning and questions are probably the last thing on your mind. Um, going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to me? Do I have a life ahead of me? Those questions are the ones that are, that are coming, not, well, what does the care look like? What does the surgery look like? What are my options? Do I need to have surgery? Those are the questions that usually end up following. So two things are really important. First is to have someone with you. If you're going to an appointment for results, there are two things that can happen in that appointment. You can get a, this is the diagnosis and this is what we need to do. And now you have someone there with you as a strong support system. Right. And someone who can take notes because your head is not going to be very clear at that moment. There's also the other way it can turn out, which is, guess what? 
it was nothing. You're free and clear, no signs of cancer. And then you guys go have a little celebratory lunch. You have somebody to celebrate with. That's right. Somebody to give a hug to, a high five. That's great. Now, you mentioned uh, some questions and knowing like the questions to ask and, and having somebody to, to write down answers to those questions. Uh, should somebody going into a, a, an appointment like this prepare a list of questions? Where can they get some guidance on that? Are there a few that you might recommend to start with? Sure. Well, first of all, the questions that you'll be asking may not even be directly to your surgeon. They may be to a patient navigator. And I have to say the patient navigators at many of the hospitals uh, that many of the hospitals offer is a tremendous asset because that person is going to be your direct link to lots of answers. Those questions that you have in the middle of the night. I remember my patient navigator said, you know what? I want you to keep a pen and paper by the side of the bed. You can call me anytime can leave the questions on my voicemail at my office the next day. I promise I'll get back to you. If you need to call in the middle of the night, call in the middle of the night or write it down and then call me the next morning and I will get the answers to you. And and the, the patient navigators truly hold your hand through the process that is incredibly daunting and, uh, and also can be there for a support system for your family members who have questions that maybe maybe they want to ask without you in the room because they are trying to be sensitive and they, they have questions that aren't ones that you maybe are ready to hear at the moment. So the patient navigator is key. And so your question leading up to that was, well, what kind of questions am I supposed to ask? Well, one thing I asked was, would you recommend this type of surgery treatment to your loved one? I want the same advice you would give to your daughter or your wife. And then the question that I think is one of the best that my husband had me ask is who would you go to if you were to receive a diagnosis like this? Because I'll tell you, actually, the surgeon who did my lumpectomy is not the surgeon who did my mastectomy. I ended up going to the surgeon who she recommended. Not that she also wasn't a phenomenal surgeon, but when I met with, you know, you want to get multiple opinions. So I, I had three different surgical oncologists who I met with, and I went with who I felt the most confident in, who just happened to be the one that she recommended. Wow, that's fantastic. And, that, and that's actually one of my other questions was, was when do you need to look at a second opinion? It sounds like you would advocate immediately getting a second opinion. Is that right? I, I do. I, I think that it doesn't hurt. Also, one of the other doctors had recommended to me to have a second opinion of pathology. Now, that's not always as easy. I actually remember going to the lab at the hospital that I had the initial pathology from the lumpectomy at, picking up tissue slides and then delivering them to another hospital, to their uh, department, pathology department, so that they could actually look at the slides, just to ensure that the actual, di- because all the doctors are going each of the doctors is going off of the pathology report from the one pathologist who made the determination that, yes, this is cancer. So I thought, you know what, that, that seemed like some good advice. Why don't we make sure that both pathologists agree that this is the same diagnosis? Then the surgeons who I'm talking with and interviewing can determine from based on that information what the course of action would be from there. But there are many other questions to ask. Um, you know, another question to ask is, how long did I plan on being out of work? What will the recovery time be if I'm had if I choose a mastectomy? What is the recovery time if I choose a, a lumpectomy with radiation? Uh, what are the percentage of chance of recurrence with each of those? So there are lots of other questions, and Komen.org is a just an incredible resource for all of these questions because I think that sometimes. And I know I almost fell into this trap until someone recommended against it. Thank goodness, which is. If you receive a breast cancer diagnosis, do not, and I repeat, do not go online and Google 
<laughs> yeah, it's, that's that's never good for any ailment in, in, of any kind at all. It's, it's a path to failure right there. It's dangerous. Each diagnosis is so unique and so different. And you're going to, once you are diagnosed, you are going to hear horror stories and you're going to hear tremendous success stories. Focus on the success stories, even though yours is going to be an individual journey. Stay focused on the positive because a positive mindset has a tremendous overall effect on your outcome. That's right. That's right. That's wow. That's really fantastic. So, so I have one more question, and, and and this is more just me trying to understand from your perspective. Uh, sure. When you know you mentioned taking a friend with you to the appointment, so that if you do get the diagnosis, you're not going to be able to take notes, and that makes perfect sense because you've sort of just been hit by this emotional truck in a sense, right? And I, I guess what I'm wondering is how long does it take? Like, at what point does it did it really sink in for you? Like, did it take several days to sort of come to grips with the diagnosis, or was it sort of an immediate thing? No, I was completely run over by a Mack truck. I mean, that's what it felt like. I kept waking up the next few mornings with that. Oh, it's just a dream. Oh, no, it was reality. You know, it's, it's kind of that same feeling that you have after you lose someone you love. Um, and you wake up in the morning and for just that moment, you think they're still with you. So similarly, I would wake up and just for that moment, I would think, I don't have, I, I'm healthy, I'm great. Oh, right, I have a breast cancer diagnosis. Okay, so, so in that, and this is something I think is really important. In those moments, and they are, they are dark moments, two things to remember. You're going to have hills and you're going to have valleys. Know that when you are in the darkest of moments, they are only temporary and okay. it will get better and the light will come again. And, and that's something to focus on. But also I felt it was really important just because I was so riddled with anxiety in those first couple of weeks after my diagnosis. And I'm a really like positive, happy go lucky person. And here I was with this breast cancer diagnosis. And I was just, I, I, I didn't want to be devastated even though that's how I felt. And I, I realize it's a, going to be a long journey ahead of me. And so what I need to do is pick myself back up. And, and for me, the best punch to throw has always been a smile, stay positive. And that's what I chose to do. And it was a choice and take everything that came next in my cancer journey as with a positive spin. So this is what, and a lot of positive self-talk. So this is kind of what it looked like. Okay, here you are with a cancer diagnosis. What's positive? For a moment, you go, oh, nothing. And they wait, 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 bring it to the light, bring it to the light. What's positive? Okay, well, I caught it early. That's a positive thing. What? Okay, great. Keep listening to yourself. What else is positive? Well, I'm in otherwise really good health, which is going to help reduce complications during surgery, and it's going to re make my recovery that much faster. Excellent. Keep going. You're on a roll. What's next? What's more positive? All right. Well, I've got great health insurance. I've got a great family. I have an incredible support system. And riding that wave of positivity really carried me through my surgeries, my you know, intense, intense recoveries. And I feel so happy and light. And uh, I feel you know, happy by really what I've been able to overcome and what I know I'm capable of now. Right. Well, and now you're, as best I can tell, as healthy as you've ever been, and you're 
all about health. You've written a book about it. And uh, it sounds seems like you're doing quite amazing, in fact. I Thank you. You know, I think when I was, so after my diagnosis and, and getting through the year of surgeries and all of that, I started to look for answers because, you know, breast cancer is only hereditary in five to 10% of the cases. And I had no hereditary link to my diagnosis. And so I'm a journalist. I needed answers. So I started to research and I read everything I could get my hands on. I spoke to numerous experts and I determined it's truly what you put in on and around your body that can have a tremendous overall effect on your well-being. And I, I searched for a comprehensive guide to just tell me, well, okay, so then how do I eat? And what should be my, my motivation for working out? And, and what about the beauty products I have? Are they, are they okay? And toxic friendships, the, the relationships that, that tear you down and create anxiety and stress that you don't even sometimes realize. Well, the book didn't exist. And so since I'm a journalist, I wrote Your Healthiest Healthy, Eight Easy Ways to Help Prevent and Fight Cancer, Take Control, Help Prevent and Fight Cancer and Live a Longer, Cleaner, Happier Life is what I am is now my, my baby and my, my passion. And I, I believe the book's available basically everywhere, right? So we can all, can all sign on to our Amazon accounts and, and pick it up. Yeah, it's, it's in every bookstore. Um, and something I'm really proud of, too, is I'm now launching my first ever Your Healthiest Healthy retreat. Because sometimes people need a little bit more than just their alone time with a book to be able to really get that leg up on their healthy journey. And so I'm really excited about it. It's going to be, um, I'm hoping to offer a few of them a year and I, at some point to do something just for survivors, ideally, but, um, it's really for everyone who wants to be on the path to their healthiest self. And so they're going to be small, intimate retreats at a beautiful resort and spa where I'm going to really dissect what's in the book, your beauty products. There are toxins lurking in all of them from the major brands that could be carcinogenic, can be endocrine disruptors. And what are they? How do you know what they are? And, and how do you read a label to figure out what are the best ones for you? And the same goes with your cleaning supplies and your, your uh, sorry, I know you're a guy, but there's a lot of ladies listening with your period routine, uh, the and care industry, you know, we need to look for 100% organic cotton, and then those toxic friendships, how to kick them to the curb and reinforce resiliency and positivity. I love how you mentioned the toxic friendships, and I think it plays a much broader role in our health than most people recognize. And it sounds like you've, that's been your experience as well, right? <laughs> I think we all have those people, you know, whether it's uh, the, the friend who just never seems to come to your side of town when you guys have plans, or the one-upper, or that, that mom at school who, even though you're not really friends, you end up always chatting and passing, and every time you leave the conversation, your shoulders are at your ears. Those are the relationships you have to sort of sit back and assess and say, okay, what can I take out of my life? And I tell you, even though it's a hard thing sometimes, and I, I talk about it in the book in very, in detail with sort of scripted dialogue of what to say and what to expect as a response and how to respond to that response. But, but also once you do it and you extract yourself from those toxic relationships, the light that you feel is tremendous and the lack of excess stress being relieved is so beneficial for your overall health and well-being. That's right. That's right. Well, Samantha, this has been fantastic. Your journey is is uh, is really inspiring, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us uh, on the show here. Thank you. It's been amazing, and I'm just so grateful for all the incredible work that Komen is doing. And I have a lot of tips and advice and positivity and support that I offer through my Instagram, which is at Samantha Harris TV. People can check back with there. And if they want to find out about the retreats, I also have a link in my bio there. 
And I follow your Instagram, so I can tell you from from experience that it is is fantastic. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.